You are listening to a sermon from Emmaus Church LCMS. For more information, please go to www.emmauspasco.org. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. For a year, Vincent van Gogh had been in a mental asylum in the southern part of France. And at times, he was allowed outdoors on the grounds, accompanied by an attendant. At other times, he was confined to the the building. And there, he painted scenes that he saw through his window in his room. For van Gogh's mind was disturbed. Not only by the confines, or van Gogh was disturbed, by the confines of his room, by the confines of his mind. He was suffering seizures and mental distress. And where could he go for relief? Well, into his suffering confinement came a letter, a small but a powerful letter. It came from his brother, Theo. And Theo sent Van Gogh a copy of an etching by Rembrandt. And in that letter, in that etching, Van Gogh discovered something. He discovered life and hope. And I've put it before you on your screen now. This is an etching uh, by Rembrandt, his fifth etching of the raising of Lazarus. And in it, Jesus is standing, a ruling figure, towering, powerful, looking over the scene, And at his feet, you can see Lazarus coming out of the tomb. And from from Jesus comes all the power. Power, Jesus is the most powerful one in the scene. He is ruling over death and over life. And by his power, he raises Lazarus and opens the eyes of all the people to see Lazarus alive. This is the power of the resurrecting Christ. Now, when Van Gogh received this picture, he was inspired by it, inspired by its power. He remembered the etching and he remembered what had been written about it. When he looked at it, he he saw more than than any of us could see. He saw more than we could write in words. And he pondered it and he painted it and and he pondered it and he painted it and he sent his brother a letter with his own small etching trying to put into words what he saw. Here in the suffering confinement of, of the asylum, Van Gogh experienced this power of the resurrecting Christ written in letters and painted on canvas and etched in ink. The resurrecting Christ brought life and hope into, his, into the darkness of his world. And that's our theme this morning, is to think about how the power of this resurrecting Christ frees us from the condemning power of the law and forms us to live as a people for God. That's our theme, the power of the resurrecting Christ to free us from the law and form us to live as a people for God. Let's look at the first part, the power of the resurrecting Christ. The text this morning is a letter. One second. A letter that from start to finish proclaims the power of the resurrecting Christ. The Apostle Paul sent this letter to the church in Rome, but it comes to us today to bring life and hope and beauty into our world. The power of Christ is not found just in this text that we read, but it actually flows through this text into our lives. Consider how Paul has opened the letter to the Romans. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, who is declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. So here, Paul presents himself in language very similar to other servants of Caesar. Only the powerful ruler that Paul serves is not Caesar. Paul serves Jesus Christ, the ruler of all things. He is declared to be the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. And Paul then states the main theme of his letter. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. Paul's letter is all about power. The power of the gospel to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. The power of the gospel to raise the dead. And it's there at the end of the letter too. Paul closes his letter by writing, 
The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. God's power is there at the beginning of the letter. It's there at the end of the letter and all the way through. Paul's letter is filled with the power of the resurrecting Christ. And why shouldn't it be? And Paul himself had met this resurrecting Christ on the road to Damascus, and he had experienced for himself his power. He discovered Jesus to be more than just risen, but to be reigning. And in his appearance, Paul's whole life is changed. Because that's what, that's what Jesus does when he confronts people as the resurrecting Christ. Mary, outside the tomb, mourning. Thomas, in the room, doubting. And Peter, on the lake, fishing. All these individuals are confronted by the power of the resurrecting Christ, and they are brought from discouragement and despair into life. And then, of course, we have Paul himself, confronted in his murderous hatred by the resurrecting Christ and turned into the apostle to the Gentiles. And Paul here proclaims this powerful resurrecting Jesus to the church today. He turns our eyes to Jesus and turns our eyes to the only hope we have. And the focus of this power this week is on the power of Christ to free us from the law, the condemnation of the law. See, here's the thing. The truth is that Jesus is pretty hard to see. Like the figures in Rembrandt's paintings, you can see all their eyes are not on Jesus, they're on Lazarus. They're looking everywhere except Christ. And for the church in Rome, Paul was concerned that people were looking to something other than Jesus for the source of their life. Israel believed in God's law. They believed God's Torah was good. And it it's designed for life. Uh, told them how to live as human beings. And they couldn't imagine their relationship with God apart from this law. They saw it as a source of power and a source of life. And they turned to that law, seeking to obey it in order to participate in God's life. And they turned, and but unfortunately, they were so focused on the law that they lost the sight of Christ. We do this in our own way. We look everywhere other than Jesus. I mean, we have this, an example. I mean, people, sometimes even when they see the church and they look to the church for, for power, they see it only as the power of moral instruction. Like parents who, who, who see their, like they bring their kids to Sunday school, not because they want their kids to know Jesus, but because they want moral instruction. They want the kids to know the Ten Commandments and so they'll behave nicely and, and be nice to other people. But they don't recognize that the point of everything the church does is to bring Jesus. And that the law is what follows from that. And that the guidance in life which are righteous, the law, which Paul says is righteous and good, they're not the core. They're not the power. They're not our hope. See, Paul writes this letter to be sure that no one can ever see the law, no Christians see the law, without first seeing Jesus. And Paul does this because he knows, he knows that the law has its own power. Yeah, the law actually has its own power, and that's the power to awaken sin. All through Romans, we see this power of the law, this life in the law, that leads human beings to death. It's a good law, to be sure. God's law is good, it is righteous and holy, but our lives, our hearts are not. And when we hold on to that law without Christ, its power comes alive and kills us. It kills the sin in us, and in killing sin, it kills us. It condemns us to death, rightfully. Paul actually says that the law arouses our sinful passions. It stirs up the dust in our hearts. See, when you hear what you're not supposed to do, you end up wanting to do it. See, Paul didn't know what coveting was until he had heard the law, you shall not covet. And then sin awakens in his heart and creates all kind of covetousness. Sin comes alive by the power of the law and puts us to death, dying when we should be holding on to the good law of God. And for this reason, Paul points us to Christ, the one whose, whose power works differently. 
him who has been raised from the dead, that we might belong to him and his power. See, we were once sinners in the hands of an angry God and his righteous, wrathful law, but now we are sinners in the hands of a gracious, risen Savior. And Paul sees this sin, he sees the power of it, and he points us to the greater power of Christ, the resurrecting Christ, through whom we have died to the the condemning power of the law. And through his dead body, Christ has set us free. That was the message that we, we heard last week, how baptism has united us to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so Paul writes in chapter 7, Likewise, my brothers, you have died to the law through the body of Christ. In his death, Christ puts to death the condemning power of the law. By your baptism, we le- as we learned last week, you've been united to that death that you might also be united to the resurrection. And those who see the law hold on and hold on to it without Christ will... We'll see that nothing else that has power. Not, we'll, we'll only see in the law something that brings them to, con, to condemnation. But you, as Christians, who are baptized into Christ, you're baptized into his death, and by his death, Christ has set us free. So setting free, being set free from this power, well, what, is, what changes now? What, what's different about living as belonging to the resurrecting Christ? Well, that same power of the resurrecting Christ It does stuff. It forms us to live as a people for God. See, that's the power of the resurrecting Christ. It's not just a future power. It's a present power. Paul reveals to us this power of the resurrecting Christ to free us from the condemnation of the law and raise us to live as a people for God by the new way of the Spirit, to live in freedom from the law. Now, this is kind of hard for us to wrap our minds around because as Americans, we we think about freedom in, in, in a unique way. We pride ourselves on freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom, academic freedom. And that list goes on and on. We, we love our freedom. But it, that love of freedom often leads us to see freedom as freedom from things. Freedom to, well, to write the rules ourselves, to become our own authors of meaning. It's freedom to, well, to become our own gods. Freedom from all structure and meaning and creation. But This freedom that we have in Jesus does not free us from the design that God made for us. See, in Deuteronomy, God commanded Israel to remember his commandments and to tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. And back then, that's what they did. They literally tied God's word to their bodies, winding leather straps around their arms. And for many, that's how God's law feels today. It's It's a binding thing from which we can't wait to rid ourselves. It constrains us and drains us. We can't imagine what it would be to be a part of this law in freedom. So some Christians celebrate the freedom from God's good design in a way that's not actually healthy. We, we, in America, America, we actually, we define away God's institution of marriage and redefine human sexuality around our own cultural whims. Um, This is going on in our culture very much so today. We define the family and the, the household. We redefine what it means to love our neighbors. And we redefine everything around our own desires rather than recognizing that we have been freed for God's design. So in such attitudes would seem really strange to Paul. They would be to condemn the law as a bad thing. But the law of God is not something you can redefine. It's part of creation. It's actually God's will for the creation. And we can't just pretend it doesn't exist. We can be freed from its condemnation even while we recognize that it actually is had the way God created us as human beings to thrive. And so we can live in it by the new way of the Spirit. So Paul wants us to know we're not alone. 
God exists, he rules over his creation, and he's given us a plan for living out our humanity. He set his law in place so that everyone will be held accountable to it before him. But he has also joined us to the power of the resurrecting Christ to free us from its condemnation. So Christ stands there as the resurrecting Christ, the power who rules over all things, over us, over creation, over the law. But Paul doesn't stop writing about the death of Christ. He continues. He writes about the resurrection because he knows that that's how we've been raised to a new life. He writes like this, Likewise, brothers, you have died to the law through the body of Christ, that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we all might bear fruit for God. In order that we all might bear fruit for God. When Vincent van Gogh looked at, an et at this etching by Rembrandt, he couldn't put what he saw into words. And so he painted it. This is our painting for our background today. This is actually van Gogh's painting. Instead of writing what he saw, he painted the resurrection of Lazarus. In his own small detail, he focused on the picture of Lazarus coming from the grave. And you can see Martha there in a green dress, pulling the veil from Lazarus's eyes, and Lazarus is just beginning to see the world and the light again. But Jesus isn't even in the painting. You can't see Jesus. You only see the effect of his power. He stands as the ruling figure in the background, not even seen by Lazarus, not by the sisters, not by the viewer, but we know he's there because Lazarus lives. And if you look carefully at Lazarus rising from the grave, you'll see that Van Gogh painted himself into Lazarus. That's him if you don't know. Van Gogh had that little uh, orange goatee, that red beard, and that's Lazarus right there rising from the grave, not yet able to see all that God had done for him, not yet able to see Jesus ruling, but beginning to live, beginning to live anew, beginning to taste the wonder of the resurrecting Christ ruling over his flesh in this world. And in the same way, Paul invites us to live under the real power of the resurrecting Christ. Though we do not see him now, we know he's risen, we know he's reigning, and so we know that the law is holy. His commandments are holy and righteous and good. And in him we have died to the curse of the law. And in his crucifixion, we live. In his resurrection, we live. For we have been raised anew by the life of the Spirit, and even now the power of the resurrecting Christ is for us and ours by faith. Amen. May the peace that passes all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. This has been a message from Emmaus Church LCMS. We thank you for listening and invite you to find out more by visiting our website at www.emmauspasco.org. That's www.emmauspasco.org.